filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Caligiuri. What is going on, you guys? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm condensing books down to their core golden nuggets, saving you time from having to read it or reread it yourself. This week, we're talking about the seven secrets of persuasion, leading edge neuromarketing techniques to influence anyone. So as a marketing guy at heart, sales guy at heart, I love to understand how to influence people. I mean, that's the art of marketing, the art of selling, the art of being able to influence somebody. And so when somebody tells me that I can use neuromarketing techniques to influence anyone, hell, obviously I'm interested in that. And I hope you're interested in that as well too. So in this book, James Crimmins, he explains how people, anybody, can appeal to the brain's automatic system to impact the decisions that their family members make, their work associates, friends, customers, whoever. So that automatic system, before we crack into it, I want to tell you guys a little bit about what that is. That's something that Seth Godin and, you know, I think for the most part, everybody calls the lizard brain. And the lizard brain is just that part of your brain that does what it does because it's trying to keep you safe. It wants to work with the familiar. It wants to work with things that make it happy. And so that primitive part of our brain that we all have, we all have it. And so what James Crimmins is saying in this book is that if we're able to tap into that, then we'll be able to better influence people. And I like that. The lizard brain isn't a new thing. It's been around for a long time and it's been talked about and studied for a long time. And so what James is doing is he's just providing us with different techniques that we can use to influence the lizard brain to do what it is we want our audience, whether it's our customers, our our family members, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our husbands, our wives, whatever it is, to make them do what we want. Cool concept for a book. Very cool concept for a book. So why don't we crack right into this one and understand how these neuromarketing techniques can be used to influence people. Let's crack right into this one. The Seven Secrets of Persuasion, Leading Edge Neuromarketing Techniques to Influence Anyone by James C. Crimmins. Golden nugget number one. Words, they really make a difference. The challenge with trying to reason with the lizard brain is that the lizard brain doesn't respond to reason. However, showing the lizard brain that it can get what it wants by doing something that it wants to do does work. So follow me for a second here. Uh, You can go ahead and tell people. You know, if you're an environmentalist, you can go around and tell people and try to convince people to recycle. You know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Challenge is the lizard brain doesn't want to do that. Why? Because it's not familiar. It's not a pattern they're used to. And so if they're not used to it, how are you going to convince them? You have to appeal to the lizard brain. Give them something that they want. Something everyone wants, for the most part, is money. So you could tell people that, hey, guess what? If you recycle your old bottles or your old cans, you can get a deposit. And so by telling them that they'll get something out of an effort that they put in, then you know what? Maybe I'll do it. And so there's one way that you can use words to help persuade people. What other things can we do to persuade people? The verbal tool of repetition also works very, very well in the lizard brain. Phrases that are easily remembered and associated with something familiar appeal to this automatic system. And this is exactly why you see politicians or marketing professionals choose slogans very carefully. 
You know, there's that old law of three. Only have three things that you want people to take away from your political campaign, from your marketing campaign, and make sure those three things are drilled into people's heads over and over and over again. Because guess what that does? That creates a sense of familiarity. And that's something the lizard brain likes. It likes the familiar because the familiar is safe. It's expected. I feel like I know you if if you keep repeating yourself. I use this guy on the podcast all the time as an example, but Gary Vaynerchuk is somebody who does this very well. His whole message is a consistent repetition of the same thing over and over and over again. You know, this common idea, this common theme that he uses of hustle, you know, this idea is what made him very familiar with a lot of people and very popular with a lot of people. Now, I'm not going to say that that's it, but I'll tell you this much. If you talk to people and you ask them, hey, give me one word to describe Gary, guaranteed that word would be hustle. Almost guarantee it. So we've talked a little bit about words. We've talked a little bit about giving the lizard brain what it wants. What about symbols? Now, you can use symbols to call up emotions and memories that people associate with products and ideas. So James Crimmins, he points out that it's very strong symbols, symbols that we recognize, like the Statue of Liberty, for example, you know, liberty and freedom. Um, or another symbol, very negative connotation towards it, the swastika. Both of these symbols, they evoke very strong emotions, one on the positive and one on the negative. Now, if you were to take either one of those symbols and combine them with a marketing campaign, what do you think is going to happen? What you're going to do is you're going to create an immediate positive or negative reaction for most people. Now, these symbols, these symbols can be used to evoke emotion from people. And so by understanding which symbols work to evoke positive emotion and negative emotion, you can use those techniques to influence people. So I like this golden nugget because it gives us something to take away, again, from a marketing perspective, from a sales perspective, from a marketing perspective. You can use these in your PowerPoint deck. You can use these in your webinar. You can use these on your business card, on your website, in your marketing collateral, whatever. You can use these things to your advantage. Golden nugget number two, try to change the act, not the attitude. So the whole purpose of debate is to change somebody's opinion about something. But persuasion, on the other hand, it shoots at a different, more attainable goal, to change what people do or do not do. So you need to change the way that people act if you want to change how they feel, not change how they feel and then change how they act. See what I mean here? You want to allow somebody to take action first. And by getting them to take action, that's going to influence their attitude. It's going to influence how they feel about something. So as a marketer, this is why you see a lot of people use a tool like, you know, the buy one, get one, the BOGO. You're giving them something of value, something of benefit to them right now to get them to try something that they might not have tried before. You know, buy one, get one free. Well, you know, it's a good deal and I'm getting a good deal. So that appeals to my lizard brain. I like getting a good deal. I like saving money. Saving money is always a good thing. So I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to get this buy one, get one. If they didn't have a buy one, get one, maybe the customer might not have ever chosen that option. But because you gave them the opportunity to choose that option, they tried it. And guess what? If they even like it a little bit, they will be more apt to change their actions and buy it again in the future. But if you just try to change their attitude about it through constantly marketing to them with messages over and over and over again, that can get very expensive and take a very long time. Take another example, the free trial. 
Now, I wouldn't say free trial because I don't like the idea of free because free doesn't have any value to it. And so free doesn't appeal to the lizard brain because free is meaningless. has no value. I don't give a damn about free. And so I don't like using free in any of my marketing material. Instead, what I would do is I would position it as you're going to get a $5,000 trial or a $10,000 trial. Attach some sort of value to it to appeal to the lizard brain. And that way, when you get people to try something, again, you're trying to change their attitude by getting them to take action. If you get them to take action to buy into your trial by just getting them to try your product, try your service, try your offering, you have a higher likelihood of changing their attitude. This one's a very cool golden nugget because it's very actionable. What offerings, what tools, what, do you, what can you create or what can you give to your customers in order for them to change their behaviors and attitudes by just first getting them to take action? How do you get somebody in the door? How do you get them to take action? How do you get them to use your product or your service? What can you do? What can you offer them? That's where the creativity is coming in and that's where you really need to focus your attention. Again, try to change the act, not the attitude. Golden nugget number three, give people what they want. When it comes to influencing people, persuading people, you don't give them what you want to give them. You give them what they want, what they already desire. So what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. If you have elderly parents, let's say they're in their late 70s, early 80s, and you buy them iPhones or Androids and you give it to them and you say, guys, you need to get with the time. You need to have these new phones. Everybody has these new phones here. You guys will use them. I'll show you how to use it. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to be met with resistance. They're going to look at it. They're going to flip it around. They're going to click it and say, I don't know this crap. Don't give me this. Just, you know, give me my old rotary dial phone or whatever. I don't even think those exist anymore. But you're going to be met with resistance. They're not going to want it. Because you're trying to give them something that you want, not what they want. You have to understand what they want first. What do they want? If you want to try to give them the iPhone or the Android phone, you tell them this. You say, guess what? With this phone, you could talk to um, you know your grandchildren, Sally and Jonathan. You can talk to them on this phone. You can actually see their face on this phone. Oh, okay, well, you know, I don't like being lonely and I like connection to my grandchildren, so great. Yeah, and guess what? You could talk to me at any point in time. Oh, good, I could talk to my kids too. Okay, there's a positive. Hey, and guess what? You know what? We also want to keep you safe. Because, you know, as you get a little older, we want to make sure that you have the tools to make sure that you keep, that, that you remain safe if you ever need help. So you can take this phone with you. Take it everywhere. Take it to the bathroom. Take it to the kitchen. Take it to your bedroom. Take it to your living room. Take it on your walk, you know, walking, you know, pixie or whatever it is. Take this phone with you wherever you are and you can dial 911 at any point in time if you need help. Or you can dial me at any point in time. Now what are you giving them? You're giving them safety. You're giving them security. Now you're appealing to their lizard brain. Now you're becoming more persuasive. You're able to influence them better. Why? Because you're giving them what they want, what they already have in their mind, what they're worried about, what they care about. And so the key for you when you're talking about marketing and trying to persuade people, influence people, you have to understand what they want at a core level, not what your product or your service is. The problem is, if you look at most websites and most marketing material, it's about, hey, I'm selling this, what we sell, our product, our service. Buy, buy, buy. I don't give a damn about that. I give a damn about only the things that I care about. And so you really need to spend some time thinking hard about that and doing research on what your customers truly want. This might require you to go out and put out a CSAT survey, you know, a customer satisfaction survey, and asking them, you know, and asking them specific questions about what is it that my product or service provides to you? 
You know, what is it that, that the ultimate benefit it is that I drive for you? And you got to try to drill that down with your current customers. And if you're able to drill down what those core things are, those core elements that your customers truly get from your product or service, if you can take that and communicate that in the marketplace, then you have a chance of becoming more persuasive, more influential. You know, in the book, they talk about some of the universal desires, you know, the universal desires like uh, the basics, food, water, a place to sleep. You know, those things can be extended out to having this economic security, you know, having enough money to pay the bills and put a roof over your head. Um, love, family, group acceptance. Um, extend that out a little bit further. Things like prestige and status. Those are close to the top of the list as well, too. And so all of these things, all these desires should be kept in mind when trying to persuade people to do something, buy something, or act in a certain way. You know, you also have universal behaviors, universal behaviors, which include being things like uh, considered attractive or being seen as being superior to others, being prepared for the future, and feeling what others feel. If you really want to persuade people, if you really want to be influential, you have to consider all of the possible outcomes of the desired action and making sure that they appeal to some needs of the people you're trying to reach out to. This comes down to sales now. You know, when it comes to sales, some of the most successful salespeople that I know, when they sell, they don't just sell the product. They sell the story around the product. You know, if you're trying to sell some sort of tool or something that's going to save them money and save them time, you can start to appeal to some of these universal desires. You know, hey, you know what, um, uh, Jonathan, my product, my service here, it's going to save you a lot of time. And with all that extra time, you know, I don't know what you could do. I mean, maybe you can spend more time with your kids and, you know, maybe more time in the hockey rink, more time in the gym even. You know, I mean, I know I, it's so tough to work out. Let me tell you, if you can save an hour or two every single day, what are you going to do with that extra hour or two? I mean, me personally, I'd spend it in the gym. What about you? I mean, first thing in the morning, I'd probably go to the gym. And so you can try to apply to some of the more personal elements. And some of those things people don't feel very comfortable talking about. They feel kind of weird about talking about that. And maybe I shouldn't. I don't know if that works. I don't know if it's appropriate. Let me tell you, it works and it works very well. It's incredibly persuasive. And so if you're trying to persuade someone, if you're trying to influence someone, you want to try to appeal to some of these universal desires. So again, give people what they want. They don't want your product. They don't want your service. They want to get the benefits of what your product or service creates for them, not only on the business side, but on the personal side as well. Golden nugget number four, focus on feeling. This comes down to emotions. Emotions are a key part to decision-making. We all know that. Right? All decisions are emotional decisions. Why? Because they're based on pain and based on pleasure. We've talked about this before. So when it comes down to getting somebody to do something, you have to appeal to that feeling part. Right? If you're a charity and you're trying to get people to donate money to your cause, a lot of people won't donate. Now, why is that? Why don't people want to donate to your cause? The cause is good. It makes sense. You know, you're saving... You know, you're saving endangered animals. Why wouldn't you want to donate? Well, people might not donate because a few things. Number one, they might not know where their money's going. Number two, they might feel like their money isn't enough. You know, listen, this is a big problem. And if I donate $100, what's $100 going to do? Right? And so you're not making them feel good about themselves. However, if you brought a message forward that made them feel like, you know, they were defenders of wildlife, that's a different way of positioning it. And that could appeal to their desires of being good people and make them want to contribute to the cause. So let me give you another example here. Let's say you're trying to convince people to stop smoking. 
You see on cigarette packages, they have all these disgusting pictures of, you know, uh, dirty lungs of, uh, you know, black lungs and terrible gums. That's, that one always stuck out in my mind. It's so gross. The, the gums or the, whatever it is, just yellow gums, people losing teeth is disgusting. And so they try to scare you. And yet, again, I was a kid when I started selling cigarettes. And that sounds really bad, actually. I, started, I worked at a 7-Eleven when I was like 14 years old. And I sold cigarettes to people who were 18. It was really funny. I wasn't selling packs of cigarettes on the street. But I was selling these cigarettes. And so I would look at the packages and it would just absolutely disgust me as a 14-year-old kid selling these. And uh, I would sell them to people. And I would say, you know, this is gross. Did you want a different package? You know, And they'd be like, ah, it doesn't matter. Just give me the package. I don't really care. It didn't matter to them. It didn't matter to them. You know, I'm still going to smoke it. The picture doesn't really matter at all. You know, well, some people actually ask me for a different package. They sell the teeth and they're like, give me the brain. I want the brain of the lungs. I don't want to look at the teeth. But in any case, it still didn't um, It still didn't deter them from smoking. And why is that? Well, because I don't think it made them feel anything. You know, but if you actually came up with a different message, a message that wasn't designed to scare them, instead a message that was designed to help them feel better about themselves. For example, if you tried to convince them that they would be a better role model for their kids, you know, for their son or for their their daughter, if they quit, you know, what kind of powerful message would that send to your children about your willpower, your strength as an individual, as a father, as a mother? I feel like that different kind of message would generate a different kind of behavior because you're making them feel better about themselves. You know, I can be a great parent. I can be a great role model. I can use this example of conquering something that's very difficult and I can use this story for my kids. Right? That's another potential example there by just making people feel better about themselves. By giving them a title. You know, you're a defender of the wildlife or you can be a role model for your children. By giving them those titles, you can focus on helping them feel better about themselves. So now think about that. How can you make people feel better about themselves? Right? Maybe when you're trying to convince people um, in your, you know, maybe when you're trying to convince um, customers of something, maybe you're a graphic designer or a marketer um, who creates websites. Maybe you want to convince people that they want to be the most, um, I don't know, the most design forward, the most fashion forward CEO in the entire industry. And maybe you convince them of that and you say, listen, you want to be the most fashion forward electrical company in all of the United States? or in all of whatever, Oregon, or in all of California, or New York, or Ontario, wherever you're from, if you're trying to convince an electrical company to, you know, invest in a website, you know, most times these electrical companies, these trades companies, they don't like to invest in their brand too much, because it's all about the work, they don't really care about the brand, but I tell you, if you maybe talk to them about being fashion forward, and being a leader in their space, you might have a better chance of selling them on it, instead of you just going to them and pitching them on a brand new website, focus on feeling. Golden nugget number five, dropping seeds of expectation. Now, this is something I thought about for quite some time. After I read this one, I thought about it and I let it stir and let it sort of just let it just sit in my mind and marinate. And I had a really tough time coming up with different seeds of expectation from a services perspective. And if anyone out there can come up with a different idea to how to drop a seed when it comes to a service perspective, I'd love to hear it. But I'm going to sit on this one a little bit more and think about it. But you don't even know what the hell I'm talking about yet when it comes to seed of expectation. So why don't I tell you what it is first and then it'll make a little bit more sense. So, so this whole idea of dropping seeds of expectation is all about trying to set people up to feel like they're experiencing something that maybe other people can't appreciate or don't know about. 
An example is if you are at a wine tasting. Let's say you're at a wine and cheese and you have a sommelier there who's telling you all about different types of wine. And the sommelier comes to you and, you know, she says, uh, you know, this simple glass of Cab Sauv, you know, uh, only a discerning palate will notice a hint of blackberry in the finish. As you sit there and swirl the wine around in your mouth and you swallow it, all of a sudden you're like, I can taste that blackberry. All of a sudden that wine's going to stand out far better than any other wine. You might be more apt to buy that wine as well. Another example here. In you know the automotive world, you know a salesman. A salesman might talk to somebody who's going out for a test drive. And they might be trying to test, uh, test drive this SUV. And So the salesman asks the test driver, Hey, when you're taking this for a test drive, pay special attention to this SUV's quick acceleration. So by... Putting the expectation of a high-performing vehicle in the customer's mind, this sets the stage for the person appreciating the product and feeling like you know, they're in on what makes this product preferable over others. And so you're trying to plant those seeds of expectation. You know, this car accelerates faster. You know, this wine has a hint of blackberry. And so by planting those seeds of expectation, again, it makes them feel like, hey, I'm on the inside. I know something that people don't know. So how can you do that from a service perspective? How can you do that from a product perspective? How can you utilize these seeds of expectation to create that advantage, that influential power within your marketplace. This one's a very challenging one. I had a really tough time with this one, but again, sometimes maybe the hardest things require us to think a little bit more about them, but maybe because they're just that much more powerful. And guess what? If you're having a tough time understanding it, I can almost guarantee your competition is having a tough time understanding it. So spend some time thinking about this one in a little bit more detail, and maybe you can find out something you can use to your advantage. Last but not least, golden nugget number six. Utilize artistic license to make old messages new again. So this whole idea of trying to make old messages new again, it's something that I think applies to a lot of different industries. Because a lot of different industries, we all use the same messages, right? It's all about value or best of breed, world class. You know, it's all about me delivering cost savings or whatever it is. It's all the same type of messages. How do you make that message new again? An example from the book that they use that I really liked. Uh, if you saw Sylvester Stallone, for example, say something like, real men and real women, they don't cheat on their exams. That message with that figure, with Sylvester Stallone giving that message, that would have a much higher impact on test-taking students than using threats would, than sharing statistics about people who cheat, or by um, uh, showing them what punishments they would, that, that would come down to them. Right, we've all seen the punishments, we've all heard the threats, we've all heard the stats, you know, you'll be kicked out of university for four years, yada yada, it's going to set you back in life, you're going to get a job later. And yet, especially when I was in university, a lot of people still cheated on their exams. Didn't matter. But what happened if you completely broke the mold in terms of how they were expecting to receive that message? All of a sudden that message might stick out in their minds a little bit more. It might penetrate their mind and stay there. And I might plant a seed that just grows and says, you know what? That kind of stuck with me. And again, that plays to the lizard brain. It likes to be engaged in many different ways. And this is one way that you can engage people with a very familiar message, but with a different delivery. See what I mean? So you can do the exact same thing in your business. 
you know, for example, another one, um, ads for clothing brands, you know, they want to feature, you know, young, hip professionals, you know, having fun and doing a lot of work. You know, viewers might look at that and say, hey, you know what, if it happens to them, maybe it can happen to me too. Very simplistic way of looking at this. It's a very old way of looking at it, but it's still very effective. Right Back in the day when Pepsi utilized Michael Jackson to promote their brand, that was huge for Pepsi. Huge, because they leveraged what Michael Jackson brought. Fun, excitement, you know, personality, passion. And so we brought all those things forward, and that was now connected to the Pepsi brand. So people thought, hey, if I drink Pepsi, I'm going to be fun too, or I'm going to have fun too, or I'm just going to have these feelings of fun as well. And so you might have these old messages, but you might want to put it into a new delivery. And so for service-based companies, professional services, for example, you're all using the same types of messages, every single one of you. So how can you change it up? How can you be different? How can you be more unique than your competitors by using the same message, but with a different type of vehicle, with a different type of delivery? Again, I don't have the answer for you, but again, this is something I'm going to sit on. I'm going to sit and let it marinate a little bit and figure out how I can use this to become more persuasive, more influential with my marketing communications. All right, all right, all right. There we go, my friends. We have the seven secrets of persuasion. Leading-edge neuromarketing techniques to influence anyone. Pretty good book. You know, overall, again, none of these things are very new. A lot of these concepts are fairly old. They've been around for a long time. But the one thing I like about this is that James Crimmins is bringing this forward again. In a world where it's very much dominated by analytics and social media, digital marketing, we oftentimes forget about some of the basics, some of the basic elements of persuasion that we really need to keep in mind in order to be uh, different, be unique in the marketplace. And so all of us are trying to differentiate ourselves and we're trying to come up with more unique and more creative ways to do it. Listen, maybe we just need to go back to the basics of persuasion, incorporate some of these elements of persuasion into our marketing communications. So I'd highly suggest that you, you know, go back over this episode, think about some of the things that I brought forward, allow them to marinate, think about them deeper. And I would even encourage you to pick up the book and go a little bit deeper into some of these things. Pick up the book, read it, but again, let these things marinate in your mind for a little bit. And if you're able to incorporate these things into your marketing communications, that might be just enough of an edge to make you stand out over your competitors who aren't doing it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this summary. If you did, please go into iTunes and uh, take a minute to provide a rating and a review of the podcast. It would mean a lot to me if you did. So thank you so much in advance for anybody who does go online and uh, you do provide that review. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I will catch you back here next week with a brand new book and brand new golden nuggets. Take it easy. I love you guys. What happens is a lot of people set goals and they have this big goal and they look at it like this giant staircase and they're like, that just seems impossible. I can't, I, there's no way. It looks too hard. It looks too, too much work. And they don't, ever, they don't ever start. They set a goal. Yeah, I want to be at the top of that staircase. It's easy to write that down. But when they go to actually start climbing, they just go, ah, that's just that's too. True. But if all you did was look at the first step and get on that first step. 
And then when you're on that step, just look at the next step. That's it. Don't look up. Just look at that next step.